In the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways and God's thoughts are higher than everybody's ways and everybody's thoughts. God very plainly states so right here in these scriptures, and he, he proves it as well in scriptures and in our lives also. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You know, we would like to be able to think more like God thinks. In fact, the scriptures tell us that we should strive to think more like God thinks. That we should have, according to the way it's worded in the New Testament, that we should have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we want to be able to think like God thinks. We want to be able to, to understand like God understands. We want our thoughts to be like God's thoughts. But of course, we'll never reach that. I mean, God knows everything. God's ways are absolutely perfect. We know the scripture says to us, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so oftentimes we as mankind, we choose the way that we seem as that seems right to us that we think is the right way to go. Uh, but if we're not checking in with God, then we're liable to go the wrong way. There's no doubt about it. You know, I, I have a pretty good sense of direction, pretty good sense. But if I were going across the country in an area that I didn't know, you know, that I, I might use the GPS, right? We all have the GPS on our phones and such. We, we might use that GPS. And of course, as we're going along in life, I'm coming up on 59 years. So uh, pretty quickly, I'll be 59. And I don't know what the future holds. And uh, even if you're uh, maybe a little older than 59, you probably don't know what the future holds either, at least uh, not very specifically, but you know God knows what the future holds. And we're thankful that we have God, and instead of using uh, you know, the global positioning system that we might use, maybe we, uh, maybe we should make sure we're using God's positioning system, you know, that GPS, right? Uh, where God wants us to be, because His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. They're better than our thoughts. They're more advanced than our thoughts because he knows so much more than what we know, not just of the future, but also about the present as well. God knows about the present. In fact, even though we might have lived our life and, and understood and, and been there, as it were, in our past, God even knows about our past better than we do even though we're the ones who live it, because God knows everything. He knows how it all fits together. And God's ways are higher than our ways. There is nothing that we understand, but what God understands it much better. I, I don't know about you, but you know when I, when I buy something and I have to put it together. Now, I'm not very mechanically minded. I'm not a, a woodworking kind of fella, you know. I'm not an engineer by any stretch of the imagination, you know. And so I depend on those uh, instructions to get me from one step to the other. And I don't know if you bought anything recently, you might have noticed like I have that the instructions are getting worse and worse. In fact, 
a lot of times they don't even use words anymore. It's just a picture, right? And you're supposed to figure it out from the picture. Well, they may say that a picture's worth a thousand words, but when it comes to instructions on putting something together, I still like those words. And I'm liable to put something together totally wrong because I misunderstand the instructions, because I'm not paying close enough attention to the detail. And I'm glad to know that God's ways are better than my ways. Because God understands everything. He's the one who created everything. He's the one who gives us the instructions in life, isn't he? He's the one who authored them. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. How much more so as the heavens are higher than the earth? Well, I want you to tell me how high are the heavens? How many miles does it take before you get to the entrance of the heavens. Well, we might say, well, the atmosphere is this much, right? Uh, but even then, it's a gradient type thing. It's not like, you know, when I was coming up from Myrtle Beach this morning, I crossed a line. I could tell you where that line was between South Carolina and North Carolina, right? We could go and we could say there's a definitive line here between those two states. Well, that's not that way when you get up into the atmosphere. How high up is the heavens? And particularly, how high up is the heaven where God is? How high up is that? You know, we don't even know where it is. As the disciples told Jesus, we don't know where you're going, so how can we follow you there? How can we come to you? And thankfully, Jesus said, well, you don't have to worry about it because I'm going to come back and get you, and then I'm going to take you there, right? And how much better that is when somebody will come get us and take us to a place that we don't know where to get to. And so God's ways and God's thoughts are higher than ours, so much higher than what the heavens are above the earth. That's how high they are. But you know, I said there's proof of this in the Scripture. Well, let me point out just a few tidbits of proof in the Scripture. And, and let's just see if you agree that God's thoughts and God's ways are higher than your thoughts and your ways. Now, let me just establish that I think we would all agree with this, that God, everything God does is right, even if we don't understand it. Would you agree with that statement? That if God does it, it must be the right thing to do, even if we don't understand it. That is a primary principle that we have to stand on, that our foundation is laid on, that God does everything right, even if we don't understand it, even if we don't agree with it, even if it's not the way we would have done it. And let me show you some examples in Scripture about this. Now, I want you to think back to me when God created the heavens and the earth. When God was creating in those six days of creation, at the end of the day, He would look upon what He created and He would say, it's good, it's good, that's good, right? In fact, He got it all created and he looked back and he said, not only is it good, but it's also very good. Very good. So everything that God created was very good. Now we might think, okay, well, there's a lot of things in this world I could do without, like mosquitoes. You know, I could do without mosquitoes. I could do without snakes. Even the non-venomous ones, you know, I don't care much about. I could do without those snakes, you know. I don't have much use for sharks, you know. You live over here in this coastal area. I don't have much use for sharks either, you know. And, and so there's some things that I question. But God, but God said it is good. In fact, it is very good. Now, 
I could take you down a, a, another path and talk to you about how that when God created everything, he created everything as a herbivore, not to eat meat, even the sharks. And that's something, I, and I could show you that in scripture, but, but it, it was all very good. Now, even though he created everything and said it's very good, what did he tell Adam and Eve? He said, Adam and Eve, you may eat of all the fruit except this one, this one that is the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's very important to understand. This is you can eat every fruit except that one fruit. And Satan comes slithering over to Eve and convinces Eve. And what does Eve do? Eve looks upon the fruit. Genesis chapter 3 tells us she looks upon the fruit and she saw that the fruit was good to eat. It was pleasant to the eyes and it was fruit that would make one wise. That's Genesis chapter 3 right there. And remember, all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, right? And, and so we know that that was the truth about that fruit. That fruit of that tree, it was good to eat, it was pleasant to look at, and it was a fruit that would make someone wise. And yet God didn't want Adam and Eve to partake of that fruit. Now you would think that God would want us to be wise. In fact, Scripture says that we need to be wise as serpents but harmless as doves, right? So why is it that God would say to them, don't eat that fruit? Well, God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And even though we might look at that tree like Eve did and the fruit of that tree like she did and say, this looks good. I, I think that God must have made a mistake. This would be a good fruit for me to eat. And God's wrong about this. And what do you think? Well, what was the result of eating that fruit? Do you know that when Adam and Eve were created, they knew all about good? And I say that because God is good. And they knew God. They had a relationship with God. They walked with God in the garden. They talked with God. They knew all about good. But this, remember, was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So well, they didn't make a very good bargain, did they? All they got to know, they already knew good, so all they got to know about by eating that fruit was evil. Not a very good negotiator, are they? God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God's ways are higher than our ways. Now, let's think about this other fellow named Noah. Noah lives out in the desert. And at the time that Noah lived, you realize that it had never rained at all on the earth. Never rained. The earth was watered from, from dew that came up from the ground, right? It had never rained. And Noah is living out in the desert. He's not anywhere near the ocean. I mean, he's, it's not like y'all. And you know, if you had a boat, it might make sense. But for Noah... It didn't make any sense at all for him to have a boat, especially a boat that big. I mean, this was not just your little bass boat or something. This was, this was a big boat. And he's out there building on this boat in the middle of the desert. There's no water around. They don't know anything about rain. It had never rained. They don't understand about rain. All they know about is dew coming up, and it, it has never come up in such a way that, uh, that it flooded anything. And for a hundred plus years, Noah's out there building on this boat. 
Now, don't you know that people came by, his neighbors came by and said, well, there's old crazy Noah, he's at it again. Well, what in the world is he thinking about building a boat out here in the middle of the desert? And he became a laughingstock to everybody. But God told him, Noah, I want you to build a boat. But I want you to build a boat that's big enough that two of every animal can come and get on that boat. And it's going to take me a hundred years. Do you want this boat big enough that it's going to hold two of every animal? God, this just doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense at all. And my grandfather was uh, fond of saying, this doesn't even make good nonsense. And yet, look at how it turned out. Noah, out of faith, built this ark. And he and his family, eight souls in, in all, were saved by water. Is what, the, what Peter tells us, right? And sure enough, all the uh, animals, two of every kind, was able to get on that boat. Now, what do you think? Looking back, was God's ways better than our ways? Was God's thoughts better than our thoughts? Absolutely. Absolutely. How about this one? You got this guy named Abraham. Now, Abraham, God told Abram when he lived in the land of Ur, he said, I want you to leave that land. And I want you to start walking. And Abram says to God, now I'm kind of paraphrasing here, if you'll allow it. Abram says to God, God, where are we going? God says, don't worry about it. I'll let you know as you go along, right? I'll be your GPS. You just follow God's positioning system. You'll, be, you'll end up all right. And so Abram gets up out of the land of Ur and he starts walking and God guides him. And he gets to the point in life where he and, and Sarah's wife, they don't have children. And, and they want children real bad. In fact... Back in that day, it was seen as a curse from God himself if a woman could not bear children. So here, Sarah is thinking, well, I must be uh, under God's curse because I can't have children. They tried to force it in, in different ways, right? And, and God finally comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, you are going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham says, you know how old I am? God, I mean, I've been around a long time, and, and Sarah, I still love her, but she's no spring chicken either anymore, you know, and, and she's past childbearing age, and how are we going to have children? And, and, and God says, you're going to have a child, and Sarah laughed about it, right? She, she thought, well, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And Abram and Sarah thought, no, there's no way we're going to have a children. And sure enough, even though they were past childbearing age, even though it wasn't biologically and naturally possible, yet God caused them to have a child. And they had this child, Isaac. And God says to him, through Isaac, you're going to be the father of many nations. Abraham says, well, all right then. We've got Isaac here. It's going to happen. And then God comes to Abraham and says, now, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take Isaac just you and Isaac, and I want you to take him up here on top of this mountain, and I want you to build an altar, and I want you to lay Isaac on that altar, and I want you to kill him. And Abraham says, this doesn't make sense. I, I mean, you've told me that I, through Isaac I'm going to be the father of many nations. How is that going to happen if I take Isaac up and I kill him on this mountain? That just doesn't make sense. But Abraham, through faith, takes Isaac, and they go marching up that mountain and Isaac, you remember, says, where is the sacrifice? And, and one of the most wonderful verses in all of Scripture, Abraham says to Isaac, God will provide himself a sacrifice. 
We also are thankful for the words that are not in Scripture as well as the words that are in Scripture. He doesn't say God will provide for himself a sacrifice, but he says God will provide himself a sacrifice. And that's exactly what happened. But Abraham lays Isaac upon, and Isaac is a, is a strong young man at this point. Isaac had faith as well. I mean, Isaac could have easily said, Dad, you're not putting me up there on that altar and, and getting that knife out after me. That's not, not going to happen. But Isaac followed after God as well, but it just didn't make sense. And God stayed Abraham's hand, and the angel appeared and showed to Abraham there's a ram caught in the thicket, and that's what you're going to use as a sacrifice. But at the time, Abraham would have said to God, God, this just doesn't make sense. But God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and God's ways are higher than our ways. And so, let me just hurry along here. How about the time they're out in the wilderness, and they're thirsty, right? And all I've got to do is open a little bottle of water and make sure I don't squeeze it too tight, because these bottles, they don't make as thick as they used to. But they don't have any water. And so God tells Moses, here's what I want you to do. Moses, I want you to go over here, and I want you to talk to this rock. Well, now that just doesn't make any sense. You want me to go talk to a rock? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, these folks already think I'm half crazy. They're going to really think I'm nuts if you have me go over there and talk to this rock. And Moses, if you'll go talk to this rock, water will come out of that rock. And I'm sure Moses is thinking, I, I've never seen this. It just doesn't work that way. Where I'm from, Water just doesn't flow out of a rock when you go talk to it. But God says, Moses, you go talk to that rock and you'll see what I mean. And God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and God's ways are higher than our ways. So that sure enough, Moses goes and talks to this rock and water comes out of the rock and, and the people, their thirst is satiated. How about a little bit later, we've got Joshua that has replaced Moses as the leader of the Israelites. Now, they've been wandering around out in the wilderness for 40 years. And as they've been wandering around out in the wilderness for 40 years, uh, they've gotten tired, they've gotten grumpy, and they're ready for a, a change of pace. Well, God says to, to Joshua, you take these people across the Jordan River, and there's a city over there called Jericho. Now, Jericho has walls around it, and they're fortified, and they hadn't been walking around out in the wilderness for 40 years. For the last 40 years, plus years, uh, they've been preparing and getting their city set up just right, just like they like it, and it's well fortified. It's got big walls around it. But Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take these people over there, and you're going to take that city, Jericho. You're going to take it over. And Joshua, I'm sure, is thinking, God, this doesn't make sense. We've been wandering around for 40 years. We haven't been storing up ammunition or weapons, you know. We're tired. How are we, this poor group that's been wandering around for 40 years, how are we to take over this city? Well, God says, here's how you're going to do it. Now, this is Veterans Day weekend, and we probably have some veterans here, right? You, there are several of you that are veterans. And as veterans, you probably understand about military strategy. Now, I've never served in the military, so I don't know as much about military strategy. You probably do. But I can figure that military strategy is probably not, hey, let's walk around this city for seven days. That's probably not 
the military strategy that would be implemented today, right? But that's what God says. God says to the Israelites, I want you to march around this city once each day for six days straight. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around the city seven times. And I'm sure they're thinking, we've been walking a long way out here in this wilderness, and now you're going to make us walk again? Around the sea, this just doesn't make sense, God. I don't understand this, this military strategy. But God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and God's ways are higher than our ways. And they walked around the city seven times, and after they walked around the city seven times, and they gave glory to God, the walls fell down. And how about that for a military strategy? The walls all fell down. And so they were able to go in, and they were able to take the city. But from our standpoint... The strategy wasn't very good. But God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and God's ways are higher than, than our ways. One of my favorite stories is the story about Gideon. And you remember Gideon in the book of Judges and in chapter 7 of Judges, God tells Gideon, and Gideon did not want to be anybody. He just wanted to live his life and be left alone, right? He tried to, to kind of hide from God as it were. And, and God tells Gideon, Gideon, you're going to lead my people. You're going to, to be a victor for my people. And so Gideon finally says, okay, I will do what you want me to do, God. And God says, I want you to go against the Midianites. And so Gideon gets up an army, and there are 32,000 in his army. You think, well, that's pretty good. Until you look over at the Midianites, and Scripture tells us that of the Midianites, they had 135,000 in their army. Now, 135,000, 32,000. It doesn't seem like that's going to work out very well, does it? I mean, nearly four times as many, and it just doesn't seem like it would be a good idea to take 32,000 and try to defeat 135,000. God says, well, you're right. It's not good to take 32,000 against 135,000. So here's, uh, Gideon, what I want you to do. I want you to go to the people and tell them, everybody who is afraid, tell them to go home. And so Gideon goes to and says, anybody who is fearful, anybody who is afraid, you go home. And of that 32,000, 22,000 go home, and he's left with 10,000. And so Gideon says, now God... They've, they've still got 135,000 on their side, and we're down to 10,000. Are you sure this is a good idea? And God says, you're right, this is not a good idea. So here's what we're going to do, Gideon. Gideon, you take them all down to the river, and everybody that gets on their knees and, and drinks water from the river, you send them home, and everybody who brings the water up to them and laps it like a dog, you keep those. And Gideon takes them all down to the river and they get a drink of water. And lo and behold, there, if I can do my math right, of the 10,000, there were 9,700 of them that bent down on the knee, bent down on the knee to get their water. And only 300 brought the water up to themselves. And God says, okay, those 9,700, you send them home. So now instead of 32,000, Gideon's army is whittled down to 300 guys. 300 against 135,000. God says, all right, now the odds are more like what we need them. And, and Gideon, I'm sure, said, God, this, this doesn't seem like a good idea to me. But God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. And Gideon says, okay, well, surely you're going to let us use a Gatling gun, 
right? And of course, guns hadn't been invented then. So Gideon says, what are we going to use as weapons? God says, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this pitcher and put a candle in it and light that candle. And I, I, I want you to hold it with one hand and I want you to take a horn, a horn that you can blow through, you know, and make a sound and, and the other. And Gideon says, well, what am I going to hold my sword with? God says, you don't need a sword. You don't need a spear. You don't need any of that. Just take a pitcher with a candle and a horn and you take your 300 and you're going to defeat 135,000. I'm sure Gideon's thinking, this strategy doesn't sound good to me. A pitcher with a candle and a horn and, and we're going to defeat 135,000. But sure enough, Gideon did what God wanted to do. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and God's ways are higher than our ways. And they... Uh, at the right time, broke the pitcher and held up the candle and blew the horn and the Midianites thought that they were surrounded by thousands of people. And do you know that not one of Gideon's 300 had to kill anybody? Those 135,000 turned on themselves and God got them the victory through a light and a horn. Isn't that something? God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God's ways are higher than our ways. God did some strange things with his prophets as well. One time he told Ezekiel, he said, Ezekiel, here's what I want you to do. Build a little model of Jerusalem. And then I want you to lay siege to this model. In other words, do you remember when, when we were younger and we played with our army men? You know, those green plastic army men and we'd set them up and then we'd lay siege to them, right? And one against the other. So this is essentially what God told Ezekiel to do. And he says, Ezekiel, I want you to lay on your left side for 390 days. Now, the best I can tell, that's over a year. 390 days. I don't know about you, but I can't lay on my, one of my sides for more than about 390 seconds. I turn and twist in bed, you know, and, and I, I get uncomfortable and get those pain points on one side, and I have to turn uh, to the other side and let it have pain for a while, you know. Laying 390 days on one side. And, and I'm sure Ezekiel said, God, that's awful painful. I don't want to do that. God says, well, just do it. And then I want you to turn over and lay on your other side for 40 days. Odd things that, that his, he had his prophets do. But this was exemplary. This was to show the Israel. This is how God let the Israelites know what was going to happen. Now, back then, beards were a sign of, of wisdom. You know, I've got one now, so they don't mean nothing now. I mean, I'm not very wise. I've got a beard, but I'm not very wise. But at any rate, and God told Ezekiel, said, shave off all your hair and all the beard that you have. And I want you to take all of that hair and divide it into equal thirds. And don't just guess at it. I want you to weigh each one, each pile, to make sure it's exactly one third. Now, can't you just see... Ezekiel putting a little hair up there and oh that's not quite enough so I'm going to put some here and, and, and say oh that's a little too much I'll take a little out and, and I'm sure Ezekiel said God why am I doing this? This doesn't make sense. But he did it and he divided it into thirds and God said okay now here's what I want you to do with one third of it I want you to burn it with fire with a second third I want you to cut it up real fine and the, the third third I want you to go and cast it into the wind. That's exactly what God had Ezekiel do. 
Even though it doesn't make sense. Well, why? Well, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God's ways are higher than our ways. This was God's way of showing the Israelites what was going to happen and, and how that they were wrong. Here's another one of my favorites. God tells Jeremiah, I want you to take a linen girdle and I want you to put it on and wear it for a while. And then, as you're wearing it for a while, I want you to not wash it. And then, here's what I want you to do with that linen girdle, that dirty linen girdle there. I want you to go down by the river and you're going to find a hole in a rock down there by the river. I want you to stuff this linen girdle into that rock and hide it for a while. And then after a while, I'm going to have you go back and get that. And by the time you go back and get it, it's going to be really dirty and, and, and worn and uh, probably some holes in it and, and things like that. And don't you know Jeremiah thought, God, you're telling me to wear a linen girdle for a while, to get it all dirty, not wash it, go hide it in a rock by the river, and then you'll send me back and go get it? Well, again, my grandpa will say that just doesn't make good nonsense. But yet that's exactly what God had Jeremiah do. Now, let me ask you this question. Do you still at this point think that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and God's ways are higher than our ways? At the beginning of this message, you were ready to agree with that. Are you still ready to stand on that principle that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and God's ways are higher than our ways? Or shall we take Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 and 9 and snip them out of the Bible and throw them away? Which is it going to be? Do you think God's ways and thoughts are higher than ours? Well, I think you do. Even though you don't understand it, even though it doesn't make sense. How about the time that Jesus was approached and said, Jesus, do you pay your taxes to Caesar? And Jesus said, I render to Caesar what's Caesar's, and I render to God what's God's. And, and remember, he tells Peter, a fisherman by trade, he says, Peter, you go down and catch a fish. And if you look in that fish's mouth, you're going to find a coin. And that's what we're going to pay those taxes with. Now, Peter fished for a long time, and I doubt Peter had ever caught a fish that had a coin in its mouth. I'm not a fisherman uh, much. I do a little bit of it, but I'm not a fisherman. But I don't, whenever I catch a fish, I don't expect to look in his mouth and find a coin, right? If that were the customary way of things happening, I think a whole lot more people would be fishermen if they could find coins and, and dollar bills and such in the mouth of a fish. But that's not the way. And, and, and I'm sure Peter was thinking, you want me to go catch a fish and it's going to be of all those fish in that water, I'm going to catch the one that has the coin in it. Well, God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and God's ways are higher than our ways. Jesus was out there teaching the multitude and they got hungry. And you know, there wasn't a restaurant anywhere nearby. There wasn't even a grocery store anywhere close by. In fact, the only thing that was close by was this little boy who had a basket, and inside that basket was five loaves of bread and two little fishes. They weren't even big fishes. The Bible goes far as to tell us they were two little fishes, right? 5,000 plus people out there, and Jesus says, sit them all down, and we're going to take this basket of five loaves and two little fishes, and we're going to feed 5,000 people. And I'm sure his disciples said, that just ain't happening. That just don't work. That math doesn't work out. But God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. 
and God's ways are higher than our ways. Isn't it amazing how God does it? Now, I ask you again, do you still believe that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and God's ways are higher than our ways? Now, I'm going to assume that everybody here is going to answer yes to that question. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to love the brethren just like you love yourselves. Now, wait a minute, God. That's a whole lot of love. Because, you know, I like to take care of myself. I like for me to be number one. But God says, love your brethren just like you love yourselves. Do you think God's ways are better than your ways and God's thoughts are better than your thoughts? Well, if so, you know what else He says? He says to love your enemies. Ouch. To love my enemy like I love myself? Hmm. God, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like the way it should be. Shouldn't I be smiting my enemy? And God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. And you may think that it's better to do it your way, but remember, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. How about doing it my way, God says, because my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. And in fact, how about if you do this? How about if you study your Bible? Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. How about you study your Bible? But God, you don't understand. I've got so much other stuff to do. There's other things, other responsibilities that I've got going on. Well, let me ask us. Are God's thoughts higher than our thoughts? Are God's ways higher than our ways? Then maybe we should do it God's way, right? How about you forgive people? Oh, but you don't know what what they've done to me, God. Well, yeah, He does. He understands. Jesus was, was beaten. He submitted Himself even to the enemy of death on our behalf. God understands about enemies. As He was laying on the cross, they were nailing His hands and feet to that wooden cross. And even at that point, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You're talking about something tough? Forgiveness. And especially to forgive and forget. Well, I'm going to forgive them, but I'm not going to forget, right? Well, that's, that's not what God teaches us. And God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and God's ways are higher than our ways, so why don't we try to do it God's way and forgive people, right? Just, just like we read in Scripture. Let me give you another tough one. First of all, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Hey, I can do that. I can rejoice in the Lord always. Well, I can rejoice in the Lord most of the time. At least a majority of the time, I can rejoice in the Lord. But God says, rejoice in the Lord always. And you know what always includes? Always includes those times when we're suffering as well. The Scripture says, Rejoice even when you are suffering. 
Scripture says that Jesus, though He died upon the cross, very willingly died upon the cross, and, and, and even though He despised the shame of dying upon that cross, yet He was willing to do it. Why? Because of the joy that was set before Him. Rejoice even when you're suffering? No. I like my pity parties too much for that. I like to have my pity parties where people comes in and you know and, and they they say, Oh, poor Mike, you know, you're going through all this difficult time, poor you. And, and yeah, uh, you know, poor, poor, pitiful me. You know that old song, right? And I, yet I'm supposed to rejoice even when I suffer. Because when I suffer, then I am being like Christ. That's what we're supposed to do, is it's supposed to be more Christ like. And being more Christ like means we suffer. And we rejoice even in our suffering. That's tough, isn't it? But God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God's ways are, are higher than our ways. Being long-suffering toward others. We talk about being patient now in, in today's terminology. And really, there's a distinction in Scripture between long-suffering and patience. Long-suffering is that I'm supposed to be long-suffering toward somebody or in a certain circumstance, right? I'm, I'm supposed to be long-suffering uh, in it in that way. We, we talk about being patient. Be patient with me. No, be long-suffering with me. Being patient means, and I'm going to go back to a 60s and 70s terminology now, being patient means to keep on trucking. In other words, being patient means don't get derailed. Don't go to the left hand or to the right. You keep on trucking. You keep on with your faith. You keep on with your path. You be patient. And that's what we're supposed to do. But, you know, sometimes we think, well, I, I just want to give up. And so many people have. Do you know somebody who's given up in your life? Do you know somebody who has, has given up and, and left God and left the church? Yes, we all know somebody, I imagine, like that. Because they weren't patient. They didn't keep on keeping on. God says be patient. And God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and God's ways are higher than our ways. How about instead of being prideful, we be humble? That's something God has told us to do. By nature, for us to be humble, that makes less sense than going and hiding your underwear in a rock by the river, right? It just doesn't make sense. Me, it's all about me, it's all about I. You know the, that old country song, right? And yet God says, be meek, be loving, be loving to one another, and love, love each other. How about, and we'll close out with this one, but how about having faith? Having faith. Even just the faith, like a grain of mustard seed. How about just that amount of faith? This world teaches you that a big bang created all of this, right? Well, I want to tell you that I've shot off a lot of fireworks in my time. I have never, ever, ever seen where an explosion brought something to life. Never. I've got enough faith to know that that's not the way it is. That's not the way things were done. That God created all things. I have enough faith that even though it doesn't make sense to believe that a person was swallowed by a big fish, taken down to the bottom of the ocean for three days, and then spit back out on dry land still alive, it doesn't make sense, but I believe it by faith. 
because I know that God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts and God's ways are higher than my ways. And you see how all these Old Testament things, do you know that the New Testament tells us that all of these things in the Old Testament were written down, they were recorded, they were given to us for our learning, is what it says, so that we would learn from it. So what is it we're going to learn from God saying, don't eat that fruit, even though it looks good, even though it tastes good, even though it will give you wisdom, don't eat that fruit. What are we going to learn from that? We're going to learn that God's ways are higher than our ways and God's thoughts higher than our thoughts. What are we going to learn from stories like Abraham and Isaac and Gideon and Joshua and all these others, a few that I've just related to you and so many others we could talk about. What are we going to learn from that? We're going to learn that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and God's ways are higher than our ways, even though it doesn't make sense to us. So that when it comes time for us to love our enemies, we will do it even if it doesn't make any sense. When it comes time to rejoice in our suffering, we will do it even though it doesn't make any sense. When it comes time for us to regard others greater than ourselves, we will do it even though it doesn't make any sense. And we will do these things because God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts and God's ways are higher than our ways. And if nothing else in this life we might learn, maybe we can learn to trust in God because of this.